This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, uh, this is Lynn of uh, Lynn and Jen and our extended series, Let's Talk About Sex. And today it's really exciting. Uh, Jen is here and we have actually with us uh, a new discussant, uh, uh, Soy Kim, and we're really looking forward to having her be part of this. And we're also starting a new kind of mini series. And this this one is focused on uh, social media readiness. And uh, just to begin with maybe a few personal comments about it, I think during the last 10 years, I've noticed that more and more situations and struggles that teenagers who come and work with me are dealing with involve online internet issues, Uh, sometimes sexting nude photos, uh, sometimes being really co-opted into all kinds of abusive activities, often not being ready for what they find on the net. So uh, uh, Jen and I, and maybe you could start out too, Jen, with some kind of personal stories about that. We really, really struggled with how to present this. And as a group, we've been working really on a scale, uh, developing a social media readiness kind of scale. And part of the series is really to talk about this and to really raise questions for our listeners. So how are you doing today, Jen? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I mentioned earlier, I'm a little bit out of it, but I'm going to be as present as I can with our conversation today. And it's definitely a topic that I'm excited to talk about because just like you talked about, you know, I work with a lot of teens and I work with parents of teens and social media has come up in more conversations than they have ever in the past. And I think it also starts at an earlier age. And as we were talking about doing this series, I was actually surprised to find that there isn't too much specifically related to this concept of social media readiness and the focus on what helps a person be ready to actually engage with social media. A lot of the times the teens that I'm working with are going on social media or creating accounts behind their parents' back simply because everybody else is doing it. And they get drawn in without really understanding how it's going to impact them. And I think part of the series that I really want to make sure we present is I think social media has also brought a lot of benefits. And I think in terms of coming from the professional perspective, there is a lot about the dangers of the internet and there isn't as much conversation about the part that I hear a lot of my teens expressing, which is the connections they're making, the information they have access to and their self-discovery. So I'm really excited in this series to kind of cover the broad range of social media and how it intersects with our lives. 
And along those lines, that's part of why I'm really excited to introduce our colleague, mm-hmm. Soy, because she did some research. And I would love it if you would share with our listeners some of the research that you did and just introduce yourself too. Sure. Thank you for the introduction, everyone. I am Soy. I'm so honored to be a part of this podcast and quite frankly, a little nervous since it's my first time. So thank you for being here, um, for letting me be here. So yeah, some of the research that I did, uh, my thesis was actually on social media and its impacts on um, adult couples uh, during grad school. And, um, you know, a lot of the research that I, I did find was um, how teens use their social media and the kind of the impacts it had on their relationships with others were the whether that was with their friends, their family, their romantic partners at the time. And the the research was mixed. Um, there's not a clear, you know, social media is bad, social media is good. It really just depends on the user and how they use it, um, as well as the people who receive the communication, as opposed to what you're using and the platform. So that's just a little bit of a background um, in terms of the research that I've done. And uh, I am an associate marriage and family therapist. I'm currently working towards my license. I'm a little bit more than halfway. And my primary background has been working with folks who experience sexual violence and all of its different forms. And yeah, definitely lots of experience working with women and teens. You know, you bring up that important area, Soy, really of sexual violence. And uh, that's, uh, I think, one of the things that makes me excited about having you work with Jen and myself, because that interest and that involvement uh, is really a big part of the world today, the gender violence against women. You know, there's really just a growing area of knowledge about this. And my thought was that the social media readiness are, are discussing this would really help teens and young people and even adults address and protect themselves in that whole area. So you also brought up that One of the things that I found really interesting from what you were talking about regarding your study was that it had a lot to do with kind of where the person was at when they were using the social media. So it wasn't the social media like mechanism itself, which a lot of articles focus on, you know, like, should you be on Facebook? Should you be on Instagram? Should you be using Snapchat? And really, I think one of the beautiful things of our social media readiness guide is about turning the focus back on yourself and kind of checking in on where are you and what is it that you're seeking from the social media that you're choosing to engage in, whether it be Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or like, you know, the millions of other apps that are out there at this point. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about a couple teens who I've spoken with and it's really, you know, I, I, I want to say that social media, which is funny because I have a huge bias against using it, but social media isn't all bad. These, these clients that I'm thinking about, these teams that I'm thinking about, um, during a really hard time of isolation for their own personal reasons, they, their only way of being able to connect with people, which is what they direly needed at the time, was through Snapchat or something else where you can connect through Wi-Fi because they just couldn't, they could not use their phone. They, they didn't have a number. So in that way, you know, if they're using it to connect with others and then they're being received, 
um, that seems to really improve their relationship with that person. Um, they also use different modalities or different platforms for different purposes. Like I think one of the research that I've, I read was that Snapchat was for people who you have really personal close ties to. And then things with Instagram is just more of a public space. It's not as it's not as personal. So I just thought that was really interesting. I think it's really valuable uh, for everyone become more familiar with that because I, I've seen that too with the teens I work with, that they talk about Snapchat being very, very personal and romances kind of can often flourish on Snapchat. Um, so I think being aware of that, that teens have this possibility out there, and this is really a healthy area for them, is really key. You mentioned, Soy, your personal prejudice about it. What is it, uh, your bias? Because I'm curious. I think we should discuss our biases. We've all got them. Uh, For me personally, I, I, I find that social media, I think, has done more harm than good just from an overall perspective. I think it's really shifted the way that we connect with others and the way that we connect with ourselves. And that really bums me out, quite frankly. But I, and I understand that, you know, in some ways it has allowed more connection for, for folks who, who didn't have that. Maybe it's hard for them to get. It's just, I wonder how much it impacts the way we interact with each other um, when we do go face to face. I think that's a really good way to put it. I, I too have some bias about the negative aspects of social media, maybe because of my age you know, and just being outside of it for so long. I mean, that, that, you know, you live in a world where it's growing and taking over and you're kind of on the outside as the older generation is, you know, people over say 65. But uh, what's interesting about it, I too have seen younger people really benefit during it from it during COVID. And it's a way that they could connect, hold on to others, have friendship groups, and it really provided a lot of positive things for them. And that's one of the things that I think prompted me to start discussing, you know, all of us discussing, how could teens use it in a much healthier way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love that you're talking about the age gap, too, because I I find even between me and my clients, you know, a lot of my clients now fit kind of in or my younger clients fit into that Gen Z category. And I see that even the way that they relate to social media is very different than the way that I do. And I'm a millennial, but I definitely am not like a stereotypical millennial in terms of how I use media. So I do think it's interesting to kind of talk about that aspect, too. But one of the big things that I noticed for myself is that during the pandemic, when I would go on Instagram and look at things, like after I got off, I found myself feeling worse. And so I ended up just kind of cutting it out entirely. And at this point, I can't even remember the last time I've been on Instagram. And it's been interesting because I think sometimes I would go on and it would be really inspiring But then somehow, like in these moments, my experience was very different. And so being able to kind of evaluate, like, where am I at when I'm approaching using this? And what am I looking for? And I think, you know, these are things that obviously make sense to ask, but we aren't necessarily taught to ask them. A lot of what bothers me about social media is that it is designed to fuel addictive behaviors. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of how much 
that is a part of just like the inherent structure of things. And so, you know, getting those likes, getting those hearts, like commenting in order to have someone else comment back. And I think my biggest concern is that with a lot of my clients, I see a level of anxiety about like their personal profiles and like response times. That is something that I don't personally relate to, but I hear so frequently that it's obviously like a more common experience. And I, I wonder about how much social media has played into kind of those levels of anxiety that are increasing. You know, Jen, when you were talking, sorry, (laughs) it reminded me uh, of a couple of things. One is kind of going back to like the purpose of use, right? So I was, and your mind state when you are using it. Um, I noticed recently, as I was preparing to speak on this podcast, when I go on social media and and why, and I'm also a very odd millennial and that I don't use Instagram. I think the only thing I use is Facebook. And I would go on there when I felt kind of alone and I wanted to connect with someone and I'm very introverted. So like, I don't necessarily need something back. I just need to know that people are there. um, Mm. And and that makes me feel good. Like I feel comforted by that or to see how like my family's doing like that really is helpful because they're out of state. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing that I'm, you know, I I thought about when you were um, speaking is, yeah, they do. You know, I think create the people who create these apps, they do design it in a way that, you know, hits on those parts of the brain that that's going to release dopamine and serotonin and all those good feelings to make it be like to make it be more addicting and there's a documentary called I think it was swiped that talks about how dating apps actually create their their apps that way too and how is that um, skewing the perception of people who are using it in the way that they're going to relate to the people they want to date Why? maybe that's why there's such a shift in our dating culture today now I mean who knows but you, you really add to that discussion about the addictive potential. Once you get started on these, you're pulled into it and dopamine is kind of set off in, in our brains around these things. I'm a boomer, but I go on Facebook to be close to my family too. So I, you know, and they live far away. And, and then I'd find that at just starting a few times, you go more times and you're more involved and you're pulled in and you start to notice other things. It's really a whole world that you're entering. And not only do teens have to be ready, but people of all ages have to be aware of social media readiness. And when we go on and we're not feeling very good, and we are feeling lonely, and we are vulnerable to this type of media. Yeah, I mean, one thing that comes up in in kind of talking about this too is, you know, I I think it's interesting you brought up sort of like you're an introvert or like you have introverted tendencies and so, you know, when when you're going on and seeing kind of like, oh, you're not alone like other people are there. It's really interesting to hear that perspective because as you know, I'm an extrovert, although like a relatively introverted one. And I find that like, if I'm seeking connection, like doing it online is a very different experience for me. And so it doesn't actually fulfill the thing that I'm seeking. And that was something that I didn't really discover in a very clear way until the pandemic when, you know, people were like, okay, let's set up all these Zoom calls. Let's like do these Zoom happy hours. Let's do all these things. And 
it just, it doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't like fulfill what I'm looking for, which is really interesting. What, what do you think you're looking for, Jen? I'm curious about it because what part is missing with the online connection? I think it's like, I, I like to feel people's vibes. So I really like hanging out with people in person because even if we're not like saying much or we're just kind of like thinking and sharing, there's like an energetic transfer that I feel that I don't get from my online interactions. And I don't think that's inherently true for like all extroverts. I'm not like Mm -hmm. speaking as a spokesperson of them or anything, right? But like as a personal experience, that was a big kind of aha for me because I thought like, oh, like this is great. Like I'll just do all these like online social activities and I can like speak to more people at once and, you know, all these things. And it I ended up feeling like very drained from these interactions instead of usually when I'm like one-on-one or small group with people, like I feel very like invigorated by the conversations. I I think that's true for a lot of us that we feel drained really by the online type of experiences and that it's a real struggle with it. Um, I, I wonder with younger people where they're much more able and facile with it, I'll see the kids uh, that I talk with really be energized by that whole mm-hmm. experience. So it's a very different kind of thing, basically. That so maybe wonder, is it, is it yeah. because, you know, is it because of that interaction or is it because, again, the apps are designed in a way to feel, um, to make you feel like, ooh, yes, I got this, I got this thing and it's hitting that reward center of the brain. Like, or is it both? Maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's such a great question too, because I, I think that was the funny thing is I noticed myself like starting to get addicted to like people like giving me hearts or whatever it is that, you know, like, you know, the smiley faces or whatever it is. And, and for me, instead of kind of maybe because of the psychological background, instead of just being like, oh, this is wonderful. I actually was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> like, I don't want this to be happening. Right. And so it got me really thinking about like, hmm, if you don't have the sort of background to recognize, like these are like literal, like addictive behaviors that are being instilled in you, like it just kind of feels good. And it's just, you know, like, oh, this made me happy. Here's a shot of happiness. Here's another shot of happiness. But people don't talk about kind of that that dark side of it, which is like, well, what happens if like you got all these hearts on this one post, but then this other post, like you got no hearts and you felt better about that other post, but it didn't get as many likes, right? I think those are the types of conversations that I have with my clients about like how authentic can you be when you are also using such a like socially integrated platform where it's inherently about how people respond to you? And I don't have magic answers for it, but they're definitely really interesting conversations. One of one of the things we talked about as a group and with a fourth person, uh, Valerie, too, is another beginning, much more younger person, but also maybe more in tune with some of this. And uh, we were talking about just how do you, with all these questions that come up for us using social media, how do you prepare yourself when you go on? Do you prepare yourself? You know, what type of risk are you really looking for, both healthy and not so healthy? And then how do you, then when you finally engage, 
you know, is there any danger that happens or things you're aware of then and all of that? And and then how do you kind of recover once you come off of social media? How do you intervene at that point with yourself and how do you act? So it's a whole process, I think, of of really looking at, which people do many times a day and don't really break down and look at it. So I think, you know, we were thinking about, and we've had a lot of conversations before this, about how do we talk about all these personal things and put it into something that would be useful for people to use as they look at this process. Yeah, I, you know, I love the way that you mentioned, Jen, um, as it relates to, you know, this kind of structure that, that we, we want to share with folks, the way that you paid attention to your body and the way that, you know, it felt around being with people or being online, like really paying attention to that. Cause I think oftentimes what happens just like watching TV, we really disconnect with ourselves when we're looking at this thing from like, that's behind a screen. And I'm also very somatically based because of the work that I've done. And so I think that paying attention to how our body and our mind connect with each other is super important to just overall well-being. And I think that's one of the things that we talked about in terms of the scale. I, and that what you're talking about, so it's really the first part of the, uh, uh, the scanning, the social media readiness is really to scan yourself, pay attention to your body, pay attention to your, your emotions before you engage in social media. And really that that's a key part that many of us forget, really. Yeah, I mean, I really like the term social media readiness, because I think, as Soy was saying, and also you just brought up, Lynn, a lot of people engage with social media from a kind of disconnected place. And so they aren't always aware until after, like what they were looking for or what was going on, but something was driving it. And so I think this idea of like readiness, taking that brief pause or that hesitation to just kind of check in with yourself, I think that can really change the way that we use social media, because then you're at least being more intentional about it instead of it just being like zoning out and like, scrolling aimlessly. And what you're bringing up, Jen, that if you can't do that, if you can't, you scan your body really to to see how you're doing, and it isn't going so well inside. You've got other options really besides going online. You can talk to a friend, talk to an adult. You know, if you're a kid, maybe do some self-care. And so you're not going online, really looking for and expecting something that you won't find and really increasing your own vulnerability. Yeah. As you're talking about this, I'm thinking that maybe next time, you know, Valerie can be present, all four of us can kind of go through the actual document that we're creating for our listeners so they can hear about the social media readiness kind of steps that we all came up with together. But we'll post it (laughs) somewhere so it's available for people. And I also want to say thank you for coming on, Soy. It's really valuable to have your input. And uh, it's hard to join something and be part of it. And you really bring so much to this discussion. I appreciate that, Madeline. Thank you for for saying that. And thank you both for letting me be on here and excited to see where the conversation goes.
Yeah, me too. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this. Thank you so much. And thank you, Lynn, for this conversation. On that note, maybe we'll sign off and uh, until we uh, join with our listeners again. Come on, let's talk about-